We're going to end our series on overflow. And for those of you with us for the first time, or if you've just not been paying attention, <clears throat> y'all here this morning? We've been talking about overflow, and we started with talking about an overflow of God's grace, and then we talked about an overflow of love and an overflow of thanksgiving. And today I want to talk about an overflow of prosperity. And I want to say this to you, that, you know, there's, there's very few things in the church that as our contra... What's the word I'm looking for? Not confrontational. Help me. That, what, say that? Say it. That's the word I was searching for and couldn't find. The, the church either has an unbalanced view and is very pro-prosperity, and they, they believe it's all about $10,000 pens and longer cars and VCRs, or in the modern day, SUVs and DVDs. Or they're afraid of prosperity, and they believe that somehow their poverty proves their holiness. But you've heard me say this to you before, that prosperity is a much greater test of character than poverty is. I want to say that again. You don't really know who someone is until you give them enough money to do what they want to do. Because money is nothing more than a magnifier. You hear what I'm saying? If you give an evil man a great deal of money, he's going to use that money for evil influence. But if a righteous man has a great deal of money, he's going to use that money for righteous influence. Money just magnifies what's on the inside. And some people pretend to be holy just because they're too broke to do what they really want to do. Come on now, listen, been around long enough to know this is the truth. You give them money, they'll do what they want to do because money is a magnifier. If we're righteous in Christ and his kingdom is our first priority, then we don't need to be afraid of prosperity because when the money comes, we'll use that for kingdom purposes. As a missionary, I learned, now listen to me, you can go and live overseas because you've got zeal. But if you've got zeal and no money, you're not going to make that big a difference. Are y'all with me? My wife and I have met missionaries more than one whose families barely lived above starvation because their zeal took them overseas, but they had no foundation of prosperity, so they couldn't do anything. And then there's other people like Rick Renner who has zeal and prosperity, and he's literally changing nations. So if we want to change our culture, we can't do it by being broken, disgusted, and brusted. We can't be afraid of this word. Well, pastor, you know that one guy, there's always that one. Y'all following me? I mean, there are people that abuse aspirin, but I bet you all of you still got it in your medicine cabinet. So let's not throw out, as they say, the baby with the bathwater. Amen? So in starting this, we need to circle back to what we started with, and this is it. The character of God, the will of God. Is our God a God of scarcity, insufficiency, or is his will one of abundance and bountifulness and plenty? If his will is one of abundance, then we need to accept that will. Amen? Go with me to the book of Romans, and this is where we get started, and I'm going to tell you that today. It's not going to be your typical word of faith, charismatic, grace, prosperity message. Because traditionally what we're taught is just drop a few coins in the bucket and God is going to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that you can just sit there on your couch and do nothing and eat bonbons. Then we get upset when that don't work. I dropped two nickels in last week and I ain't got a quarter this week. Something's wrong. 
Generosity always will be a vital part of kingdom prosperity. Y'all listening to me? But it's not the only part. It's a part, but not the only part. There are other things we need to do, okay? So I want to use as our launching pad Romans chapter 5, verse 17, which says this, For if by the offense of the one death reigned through the one, much more, everyone say much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, now who is that? That's us. We're the ones who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We will reign in life. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. Now, notice what it does not say, reign in heaven. It says reign in those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, that word reign is an interesting word because in the Greek, it literally means basilica. It means to reign as a king. To enjoy the honor and prosperity of kings. Everyone say, I believe the word. Now, see, here's something that we need to understand. When we come to the word, we all are the byproduct of our upbringing. Every one of us, none of us are immune to the environment in which we were raised. And if we were raised forever being the tail and never the head, it's really hard for us to understand that God said you'll be the head and not the tail. Because our worldview is, I think his name was Coach Ryan. He said, if you ain't the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Selah, think about it for a little bit. And some of us have been chasing for so long, we don't, we don't know what it's like to be at the front of the pack. Amen. But when we read the Word, the Word is supposed to reframe our mindset. We're not supposed to search for a way to make the Word fit our world. Well, I've always been broke, so I got to find a scripture that 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 validates my brokenness. No, if the Bible says be whole, then we must divorce ourselves from our brokenness. And now our purpose is to use our faith to find the path to wholeness because he said be whole. So those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life so at this point we have to say amen and it doesn't matter if we've never reigned it doesn't matter if we've never known anything other than government cheese and powdered milk and it wasn't bad but it wasn't the best so we need to reframe our mindset to understand that god wants his people to have an abundance and we'll get to this. What is the purpose of abundance? And once again, divorce ourselves from those who abuse it. And understand, how do those who properly have it use it? Every person who's ever obeyed God has been blessed. Everyone. I remember the first time I went to the Cove, and my wife and I didn't know I w- we were talking to Billy Graham's eldest daughter. 
And I was stunned. You know why? Because Billy Graham's not your typical TV televangelist. And yet when we went to the Cove, I mean, it was like, wow. I thought Billy Graham was broke. <laughs> and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, how does a broke man do this? And then we got to talking to his daughter and she talked about how they decided they wanted to compete with the Biltmore. And this wasn't the only place Billy Graham had done this. Then you consider someone like Mother Teresa. Y'all ever heard of Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa wasn't noted for luxury cars. Yet tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars flowed through her hands because she stewarded it to, for the kingdom. Mark Montaigne did the same thing at the same time, an Assembly of God missionary. So the, the, the purpose of wealth is not for self-indulgence. The purpose for wealth is kingdom expansion. And if we want to expand the kingdom, then we've got to say, Father, thy will be done in my life. And if you delight in prosperity, I want you to be happy with me. Is this okay this morning? Everyone say overflow. Now, this is something I want you to understand. Listen, the secret, listen to this, the secret of reigning in life lies with receiving everything that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. We reign in life by faith, not by effort. How our life would be different, listen to this, if we simply let the Scriptures say what the Scriptures say instead of changing the Word to fit our world. Perhaps, just perhaps, our world would change to fit the Word because after all, we know this at Real Life Church, the, the ultimate of, of, objective of faith is to make God's truth our reality that's the objective of faith god's truth becomes my daily reality now in order for the word to bring about the change in our lives needed to make god's truth our reality we must mix faith with the word that is heard go with me to hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 and i want to read this to you out of the amplified for indeed, we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us, just as truly as they, the Israelites of old did, when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. If you're bound, and it doesn't matter what you're bound by, if you're bound by poverty, you're bound by sickness, you're bound by old pains and broken hearts and shattered dreams, if good news comes that says you can be free from that which has bound you, that's, that's good news. But listen what it says here. It did not profit them for the message they heard did not benefit them. Next slide. Because it was not mixed with faith. They heard it. But they didn't stir in their faith with it, so it did not benefit them. Now, the fact that they did not mix faith with it, did that make the word they heard a lie? No, sir. No, it just means they didn't benefit them because they didn't add any faith to it. They heard it and said something along these lines. Well, that's just too good to be true. I've been a slave for 400 years. My mama was a slave. My daddy was a slave. His daddy was a slave and his mama was a slave. You got to understand slavery is a generational thing. Just like alcoholism and disease. Hmm? 
So when they heard it, they dismissed it because it didn't fit their worldview. And it did not benefit them. Because it was not mixed with faith, with the leaning of the entire personality on God. An absolute trust and confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. You remember, Caleb's the one who said, even though I'm old, I want my mountain. Listen to this. When the word challenges our worldview, when the word confronts our preconceived ideas and notions, and it will. If we really hear the Bible preached, the Bible will confront. It will challenge our perspective. It'll challenge our perspective of ourselves. It'll challenge our perspective of God. And it'll challenge our perspective of our culture. You see, in large part, the reason America is having such difficulties is because the church has already given up on it. We've got to engage once again. Believe that God's grace is greater than the darkness. Hmm. The word is very confrontational. Very few scriptures fit nicely into our world. Most of the scripture confronts us and challenges us to repent, change, and grow. So when the word confronts us, do we lean into it with absolute trust in God's power, wisdom, and goodness? If we don't, the word will not benefit us. It'll not bring us any advantage or profit. But if we do, then the word of God will work mightily in our lives. And it will change our heritage. It doesn't matter how many, y'all with me, it doesn't matter how many generations of your family have been broke. You could be the first one to change that. And then if the Lord tarries, there'll come a day when your great, great, great grandchildren will say, look what grandma did. Grandma believed God and changed everything. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13. And just as a matter of confession, I forgot to start my timer. So when y'all get up and leave, I'll know it's time to bring it to a close. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says this, And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you will only be above and not be underneath. If you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today to follow them carefully. Can we believe that? Can we believe that we can be the head and not the tail? Can we believe that we can be above and finally stop being beneath. Yes. You know, when you're under it, that's where all the pressure is. When you're above it, there ain't no pressure. There's just blue skies. I'm going to help myself if I don't have no one else this morning. Can we imagine ourselves? As we get started, I want to say this. Listen, your overflowing prosperity is prepared but not predestined. I want to say that again. It's prepared for you, but it's not predestined. There are some things that you and I must do. Let's go ahead and get started in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 15. 
I'm going to read it to you out of the New American Standard. Matthew 25, verse 15. The whole object today is overflowing prosperity. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according, now listen, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now the word on talents, talents, in my opinion, is unfortunate because it's changed meaning over the years. When we hear talent, we think of skill set. But in the biblical setting, in this setting, talent had to do with weight. Weight of precious metals. And the weight would differ depending upon whether it was gold or silver or some other precious metal. But it had to do with weight. <clears throat> so it had nothing to do with skill sets. It had everything. And here's, here's, when we read this, if it, it would have been better if they would have used the word opportunity. To each he gave opportunity because he gave them money. And we must understand this. The greatest thing that money can buy you is opportunity. Money affords you choice. Can I chase a rabbit? Y'all got nowhere to go. When my wife and I used to be missionaries, I stopped counting when we hit 50 times over the Atlantic. Before that, it was kind of fun to see how many times we flew back and forth. Once you got to 50, every airport looked the same and it was no more any fun. So I just quit counting at 50. But the point is we flew a lot over the Atlantic. And, and many of those flights... Not all of them, thank God, but on many of those flights, I was at the rear of the airplane. Do you know what's at the rear of an airplane? The toilet. And when you're in the rearmost section of the airplane, it stinks for a variety of reasons. One, you can't put your seat back. And it's the toilet. You hear sounds. You're not supposed to hear. And people come up and look at you like, did you hear that? And you're like, yeah, I heard that. And I would sit there and fantasize that in the front of the airplane, they're drinking wine and eating cheese, not back here cutting it. And I'd be like, God, why can't I be at the front? Did you preordain me to be at the rear of the airplane? And you know what? He did not preordain me to be there. You know why I was there? Money. Because I didn't have the ability to choose the seat I wanted. You see, when you ain't got no money, you ain't got no choice. You live where they tell you to live. You drive what they tell you to drive. You do what they tell you to do. But when you have money... You have choice and you have opportunities. Hear me when I tell you this. You don't have to spend it all on yourself. You can give it. You can sow it. Why? Because you have choice. So God wants us to be prospered and be blessed. So we have choice and we can choose to seek first his kingdom. And his righteous ways of doing things. And we don't have to be concerned about being lumped in with them. If, if, if they really bother you, don't do what they did. 
Do what people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa did. Use the multiplied millions that God allows you to steward to build things that will bless generations of people. But if we remain broke, we can't build nothing. So he gave five talents, two talents, and another one. Let me pick up reading this in the Passion Translation. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to the one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and to the third a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each, listen to this, according to his ability to manage. The one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with the money, and he doubled his investment. In the same way, this is verse 17, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 gold coins traded with the sum and likewise doubled his investment. But the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After much time had passed, the master returned to settle accounts with his servants. The one who was entrusted with 5,000 gold coins came and brought 10,000, saying, See, I have doubled whose money? Because who'd it come from? Can I ask you a question? Where'd your money come from? I promise you it came from the Lord. Because every good and perfect gift comes down. It doesn't matter what you do Monday through Friday. If God hadn't graced you with that job, you wouldn't have that job. If God hadn't you with that ability, you wouldn't have that ability. So your resources came from God. Make no mistake about that. When you're working Monday through Friday, you ought to accept and see your job as grace. Where was I? What verse? 21, okay. Commending his servant, the master replied, You have done well and proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. By cause of the fact that you invested and doubled, you have been a what? Faithful. Everyone say faithful. See, a lot of times we think faith is simply believing in spiritual things, but faithfulness is proven in how you live daily. It's not just about believing in healing. It's not just believing for salvation, the spiritual things. Faithfulness is how you get up in the morning and you go about your day. So this guy had been proven faithful to manage a small sum. Now I will put you in charge of what? Much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come celebrate with me. His master said to him, good and faithful slave. This is out of the New American Standard. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Everyone say overflow. There is a path for you and I to take that we can get to overflow. But we have to understand and recognize opportunities. Remember what I told you? If you could take this word talents and make it opportunity, you'll understand it. Because when the Lord gives you an opportunity, he expects you by faith to take advantage of that opportunity. Because I'm going to show you this in a little bit. You know what poor stands for? 
Sister Fowler, if you can find that, just go ahead and put that one up. Poor stands for passed over opportunities repeatedly. When God gives you opportunity because you're afraid, you're afraid. Well, I don't want to take the risk. Why? Because I've been broke all my life, and if I take a risk and I lose it, that's exactly what the useless slave did. He said, I'm afraid of you, so I'm going to take what you gave me, and I'm going to bury it into a hole. And when you come back, I'm going to give you everything you gave me, but I'm not giving you anything more because I was what? Afraid. The other two, they took risk. They went out and invested. Now, you'll notice what's, is this okay this morning? What's absent from the story? The Lord did not tell them what to do. He gave them opportunity without instruction. He didn't say, I want you to see a lot of us. Well, if the Lord ever told me to do that, I would do it. Well, if the Lord ever said, take a risk, I'd take it. Doubtful. Because if you don't have the courageous faith to do it now, knowing God is with you, for you, and in you, you wouldn't do it even if he said to do it. The Lord gave him opportunity without instruction. And then he watched, he, he, he watched from afar to see what they would do with it. And when they went out and they traded and they doubled and they made more of themselves and they came back and they said, Lord, you trusted me with 5,000. And I went out and I did business. And I come back and I give you 10. He said, you're faithful. And because of that, I'm going to trust you with much, 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 much more. And when you've got much, 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 much more, you can make an amazing difference. Well, pastor, you know, I didn't get the 5,000. Well, bro, neither did I. That man got all the talent. I just got the good looks. But he got the charisma. You know, there's a reason why they mic my mic or mute my mic. It's not about what you have. It's about how you use it. Then the one who had been entrusted with 2,000 gold coins came and said, See, my master, I've doubled what you entrusted me. Commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well and proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant because you were faithful to manage a small sum. Now I'll put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, come and celebrate with me. Then verse 24, then the one who had been entrusted with 1000 gold coins. And I got to tell you, I don't feel sorry for this dude. I ain't never seen 1,000 gold coins. This dude had 1,000. Y'all got 1,000 gold coins? He had 1,000 gold coins. If he's in heaven, I'm going to slap him. (laughs) Then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came to his master and said, Look, sir, I know that you're a hard man to please. And you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. I was afraid of you. So I went and hid your money and buried it in the ground. But here it is. Take it. It's yours. Verse 26. Angered by what he heard, the master said to him, you're an untrustworthy and lazy servant. If you knew I was a shrewd and ruthless businessman who always makes a profit, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? 
Then I would have received it back with interest when I returned. But because you were what? What? Why was he unfaithful? Because he was afraid to take a risk. I will take the 1,000 gold coins and will give and give them to the one who has 10,000. Well, that don't seem fair. But can I say something? Favor ain't fair. God is looking for stewards. He's looking for stewards who will take an assessment of what God has already given them and say, God, I might not have what she has. I may not live where he lives, but you've been really good to me. And I am grateful and I am faithful and I'm going to use what you have given me to bring you even more increase. If you gave me the ability to write, I'm going to write. If you gave me the ability to do business, I'm going to do business. If you gave me this, I'm going to I'm going to use what you have given me. When we're talking, you see what I'm, when we're talking about overflowing prosperity, it's not just about mindlessly dropping in some coins in a bucket on Sunday. It's about taking a faith filled approach to life and saying, I know God is for me. I know God is with me and I know God has a plan for my life. And I'm not going to just sit by and let the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into years. And one day come to him and say, look, it, I'm giving you back everything you gave me. I took no risk, but I lost nothing. I maintained, but I didn't obtain. Verse 29, for the one who has will be given more until he overflows with abundance. Selah. We're talking about overflowing. The Lord just in this story laid out, this is how you get there. Start where you are. Believe God to give you an action plan and then begin to do something with what you have. Instead of griping about what you don't have. Is this okay? Y'all still love me? For the one who for the one who has will be given moral until he overflows with abundance and the one with hardly anything. Even what little he has will be taken from him. Then the master said to his other servants, Now throw that good-for-nothing servant far away from me into the outer darkness where there will be great misery and anguish. This parable focuses primarily on the useless servant. Now here's what I want you to see. He was useless because he denied his opportunity. Why are you all so quiet? He was useless because he denied his opportunity. And can we just keep it real? For any one of us to say, God has never given me an opportunity, is a lie. It's a lie. But many of us have been duped out and talked out of our opportunities, and many times by preachers. You know, there's a verse with a very similar story. And I've heard it preached where the, the, the occupy till I come. I believe it's in Luke. And for years that was taught. Just buckle down, hold the fort, stand your ground, occupy till I come. I know you're down and out, but just stay strong. And you know, that's not what that means at all. It's not even the right setting. 
Because the setting is this story. And it literally means do business till I come. Don't disengage and don't hunker down. Go out and do business until I come. You keep doing business. One scholar said this, the greatest evangelistic field in your world is your place of employment. The greatest evangelistic field is where God has employed you. So we, the Lord doesn't want us just to squat and wait. He wants us to engage and overcome. They, listen to this. They used their opportunities to the best of their abilities and gained greater responsibilities. Did you get that? I'll say that again. They used their opportunities to the best of their abilities and gained greater responsibilities. Gifts that are not used are lost. Opportunities that are ignored are costly. One of my mentors, Dr. Mark Rutland, said this, Add to your life and God will use what you added to your life to add to your life. I remember one lady, I, I don't believe it's my job in life to squash people's faith dreams. I don't care how big they are. Now, if you come to me and say, God called you to be a drug dealer, a cartel member is how you, he anointed you, I, we're going to sit down and talk about scripture. But I had one young lady who was a hairdresser, and she came to the church only a couple times, and I kind of know why she only came a couple times. But she told me, she said, God had called me to be a billionaire. And I celebrated that. I said, that's fantastic. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> but I asked her, I said, that's wonderful. I said, what are you doing to prepare? I said, are you taking any classes on economics? Are you learning how money works? Because if you're going to steward a billion dollars, you've got to at least know how to balance a checkbook. Because, see, there will come a day when you have an entire team, but before you get that team, it's a one-woman show. And she got mad at me. And I didn't squash her dream. I just said, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready. If you believe God's called you for that, then get ready for it. If you're not getting ready for it, you're passing over opportunities. And if you pass over opportunities repeatedly, it makes you what? But whatever you add to your life, God will use to add to your life. Add, get a realtor's license and see what God does. You may just have created another income stream. You, you following me? Add something to your life. Go take some classes so you understand economics so that when the money comes, you don't want to be a fool who's easily parted with his money. You follow what I'm saying? So we're believing God. God, I believe that your plan for me is a good plan, and you're going to give me a great much, much more to steward. So I'm going to get ready to steward it now. I'm going to, I'm going to open up a bank account. That's called a storehouse, and I believe you're going to fill it. And God, I'm going to take some classes so when the money comes, I learn how to do it. I want to know something about tax law. So the kingdom gets it, not just the IRS. Is this okay this morning? If we want to have an overflow, we got to get ready for it. Hmm. 
In this parable, each of the men is given opportunity according to ability and is expected to serve faithfully. So really, this parable is a parable on responsibility. And the main topic is accountability. And the gift and the responsibility were commensurate. Are you seeing that? Go with me. We're getting ready to close. That really means nothing, but I just want you to feel good. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, out of the King James. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A steward is not a butler. A, stu- a butler is someone who opens up the door. A steward is someone that a wealthy family would give responsibility for their wealth. You see, because a truly wealthy man, I don't want to be bothered with it. I got 20,000 acres. I want you to manage it for me. So if I have 20,000 acres and I give it to you to manage, that makes you the steward of my land. Now, what I don't expect from you is to come back and say, you gave me 20,000. Here's 18,000. You following me? It's expected of a steward that he be found. Now, in our in the story that Jesus told, who were the faithful ones? The what? Those who doubled. So a faithful steward is going to say, you gave me 20,000 acres. I went out and did business. Here's 40,000 acres. I'm going to say, well done. So it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. The ones who were faithful, I'm going to try to bring this to a close quickly. The ones who were found faithful, listen to this, had transformed opportunity into action. I want to say that again. The faithful ones transformed opportunity into action. And the Lord said that the response to their faithfulness to the opportunity was being allowed to steward much, much. You see how this is not your just typical word of faith prosperity message? I'm not telling you your path is to send $1,000 to a televangelist. Your path is the opportunities you wake up with in the morning and you've been ignoring for the past five years. When you keep praying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me, and God's saying, here's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. What is the opportunity? Open up our eyes and see the opportunities all around us. I heard T.D. Jake say one time, he said, every child of God should have at least four streams of income. And he based that off the book of Genesis where four rivers fed out of the Garden of Eden. And I learned as a missionary that it's really good to have more than one stream. Can I, can I chase a rabbit for a little bit? Because see, a lot of us, we have one stream. One. And if something happens to that stream, we in trouble. And I learned as a missionary with one stream of income, and that was people's love offerings, that if anything happened in the United States, if a church made a bad budgetary decision, you know what was the first line item in their budget to get knocked off? Missions. And I'm over there and my wife's over there and we're giving everything we are got and we're confessing and we're believing and we're sowing and we ain't doing nothing wrong and pretty soon I go to the stream and it's dry. Why? I didn't do anything wrong. They did. Is this okay? See, you can have a 401k and someone else can make a bad decision 
and it goes away. If you've got one income stream, somebody else can do something. They can throw some rocks in it. And you, didn't, you, you did nothing wrong. But somebody four counties over decided they didn't want that stream to flow, so they wanted to keep it, so they dammed it up. And now you can rant and rave about it, and you can cry about how unfair it is, but in the meantime, your crops are dying, your children are crying, and everything's gone. The better thing to do is believe God. Open up our eyes and say, Father, I know you've given me opportunities. I'm going to create other paths of income streams. So if I got four and one gets dammed up, I might feel a little pinch, but I ain't dying. Everyone say overflow. I know I, I'm like you. I wish I could just drop a 20 in a bucket. I wish I didn't have to be responsible to opportunities. Okay. Here's a simple outline, and then we're going to read a few more verses, and we'll be done. Here's a very simple outline. The master, number one, entrusted responsibility to his servants. The responsibility, by the way, was to the opportunity to do well with what the Lord had given him. So the master entrusted responsibility to his servants. Number two, he increased responsibility for faithfulness. And number three, he judged inexcusable irresponsibility. Now go with me to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12 says this, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find out knowledge of witty inventions. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find out knowledge of witty inventions. That in the Hebrew, that witty inventions means a plan of action. I, wisdom, have a plan of action for the creation of wealth. I, wisdom. So what is, are y'all listening? Do you know who has been made unto you wisdom? Christ. Christ himself is your wisdom. I, Christ, have a plan of action. Go to with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But you are to remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power. Where's the power? It's wisdom. Because wisdom lays out a plan of action. I know what I have to work with, and God gives me a plan of action of how to turn this one into two. Now here's something else I want to say. For it is He who is giving you Anytime you read God has become to you or God is giving you or God causes it to rain down, everyone say grace. grace. Understand this is all of grace because if God gives it, God's not giving it in response to your deeds. God's giving it because of grace. For God is giving you through grace the power to make wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. So wisdom gives you a plan of action. The plan of action is how to create wealth. The wealth makes you influential, gives you opportunity and choice. Well, pastor, I don't, and I've had people say, pastor, I don't believe anyone needs four cars. Well, you don't have to have four. You can give them away. And I know I keep saying that, but how cool would it be to have four? 
and be able to say to someone in the church who doesn't have one, let me tell you what the Lord's done for me. You see, there was a time I was like you. I'd, I had nothing, and, and then Pastor Jimmy just preached this amazing message. Man, I'm telling you, it was revolutionary. I, I went home, and I listened to it 22 times, and it sank in, and, and I began to play. I, I began to open up my eyes and believe God gave me a plan of action, and now I got four cars, and they're all really nice. And Which one would you like? You like blue? I got blue. You want a red one? I got a red. How cool would that be? How wonderful would it be to be able to go to a grandmother who's been tasked with raising her grandchildren and she's having to live in an apartment and you say, you know what? God has so blessed me. I got four houses. Which one would you like? All things are possible to them that believe. Why can't you and I believe that we can inhabit a place of such generosity that we become world changers through our generosity? Why can't we? I think we can. Is this okay this morning? Genesis chapter 26, verse 12 says, now Isaac sowed. Now, if you go up to the very first verse of Genesis 26, you'll see that he's in a famine's famine. This isn't the famine that Abraham had. That was child's play compared to the one Isaac was encountering. This is another famine that followed the famine. So it's a famine's famine. And in the famine's famine, Isaac sowed in that land. What land? The land that was in famine. Can I say this to you? The business plan that God gives you might not make sense. Y'all just went quiet on me. Because see, if you, if you take your business plan to someone who doesn't know God, they don't know how to factor in the anointing and favor, and you say, what do you think about this? So they're going to say, well, two plus two equals bankrupt. And you're going to say, no, no, no. See, when God gave me the plan, he said two plus two equals prosperity. Wisdom gave Isaac a plan. I want you to sow when no one else is sowing because they're all running because it's a time of famine. It is a famine's famine. And Isaac sowed and reaped in that same year a hundred times as much. And the Lord blessed him. The blessings of the Lord maketh, and he adds no. And the man became rich. Continued. To grow richer what the bible will just slap you upside the head and the man became rich you could have put a period but god puts a comma why because he was faithful much much more and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy everyone say possible Closing, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So we've run the cycle. God's blessed. For the first time in our lives, we have an abundance. What do we do? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom. Make it, it's our top priority. Just like the faithful servants in the story, they came back. And they said, Lord, everything we have came from you. And you'll find something very similar, David said, when he was raising a great amount of money to build the tabernacle. He said, everything we have came from you. So we're just giving it back to you. 
Seek first the kingdom. You could do anything you want. You're so blessed. Remember him. Seek first his kingdom. When you wake up in the morning and you just receive that letter from the bank that says you got too much stinking money, you need to take some of it out and put it in another bank because they're tired of having to guard that much money. <laughs> and now you're all stressed out about what bank can I use in town? I got to go to another county because every bank in town has already turned me down because I got too much money in it. Pastor, you're just being silly. I don't know. Father, what would you have me do with this extra? Where do you want me to sow it? The Lord could tell you about a missionary in China who's sitting underneath a tree named Lester Sumrall who's about to die believing God that something will happen. And God could tell you to send that person money and you could save their lives. We are believing God as a church and as individuals for an overflow of prosperity. But it ain't so we can sit back and eat bonbons. It's so we can buy houses around here and put missionaries in them. So we can buy houses around here and change this community. So when we find out that there's a drug house, we go buy it and change it into a place of righteousness. Are you all listening to me? When we find out about some missionary in China who wants to build a hospital, why can't we send them a million dollars? Why can't we? Well, the church won't do it unless... We all do it. And then when God blesses us, let's not forget him. Amen. Would you go ahead and close your eyes and lift your hands? Cleve, you need to come up, sir. And I'm going to lead us in one prayer, and then Cleve is going to guide us in a couple others. And if you need prayer this morning, we'll have a prayer team up here. And we don't ever want you to leave this place without knowing that we stand in agreement with you. But with your hands raised and your eyes closed, let's just pray this. Father, for the opportunities we've missed, I ask you for mercy. I'm sorry, Father, that I was afraid, that I believed more in my history than I did my destiny. But at this point in time, I repent. And I declare fear does not live here anymore. I am not afraid. I'm all ears. I'm looking for opportunities. And I thank you, Father, that by your grace, opportunities come my way. And I will take advantage of them. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.